It's episode 11 of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Chris Mead. This ain't gonna be easy. Hello, I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and uh, welcome to episode 11. This episode will give you the chance to hear Chris Mead define his improv style, find out the way in which his first attempt at the Herald resembled Doctor Who actor Matt Smith's face, and hear about the first time in living memory he's been completely content. All this and more. Do enjoy. Chris Mead, hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Super. Uh, it's real. I am very excited to be on this podcast. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, so that's uh, uh, it'd be awkward if it was just one way. One way. Yeah, <laughs> I have been emailing Stuart for weeks. <laughs> He's been maintaining a frosty silence, and then the other day he was like, "Yeah, all right, you can come." Give you, give you. Yeah, well, sure. You know, I, I treat him mean, keep him keen. That's very much my attitude. Cause... Even now, I don't know whether this podcast will go out. <laughs> He's sort of like, "We'll see how you do. <laughs> if it's good enough, then perhaps we'll put you on." <laughs> <laughs> You're here tonight because you're teaching a hoopla course. I am. It's the first one of a new long form. So hoopla is sort of doing four levels now. Um, There's more than this, but but you come in as a beginner, uh, do eight weeks of that, six to eight weeks, and then you do uh, performance, which is short form performance, Mm -hmm. and then long form, which is where you learn the techniques that can fit into any long-form format. So just about being present and, and uh, connect emotionally available and connecting with your partner, that sort of thing. Uh, and then some broad stuff like tagging and, and sweeping, editing, that sort of stuff. And then we, me and Katie have just started a new advanced class, which Ooh. I teach on a Tuesday with her. Uh, we alternate weeks, which is different forms. Right. Actual different forms. So, like one week the Harold. Yeah. One, one <laughs> it just week. takes one yeah, week. It's oh, fine. No, we'll do that it's a fine. week. That's a week. Uh, just to introduce people to them, not, uh, not to get people to perfect them. Yes. Uh, and then we're doing Pretty Flower, Deconstruction, uh, La Ronde, all sorts of living room. So, yeah, so this is sort of third. These are people who have probably done about 16 weeks of classes, right. done their first show, short form show. Yes. Now they're coming to do, to learn the ways of the long form. <laughs> so it's the first night tonight, so you haven't met it them. It is, yeah. You might have met them, but you don't know necessarily who's going to be in the class. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I've got a list of names, I don't recognise too many of them. But it's been a week of firsts actually, because I've been, st- I started three courses, teaching three courses, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all for eight weeks. So I've been meeting new people every night this week. Whoa. Very and exciting. How, is it, how easy is it for you to remember everyone's names? Well, I have a name game that I nick from uh, IO, which is essentially pointing at someone else and saying your own name. And you do that a huge amount. Yes. Until everyone has said their own name over and over. And then you switch to pointing and saying their name. Yes. And then you switch to telling them who they are going to point to next, which yes. is always the bit where people's minds explode. Uh, but you do that for 10 minutes yeah. and the names stick. Yes. As long as everyone wears the same clothes and stands in the same location, <laughs> from then onwards, I've got their names. <laughs> yes, because I, uh, I teach web design and um, I think it's not 90% of teaching, but it's, uh, once you've got everyone's names down, it's just a lot easier because you're, you, you're not pointing to someone and going, you, can you go and help them? You just, you know, you've got their names and it's a lot yeah. easier. Yeah, and, and it's, there's something about the atmosphere in the class as well. Uh, Jason Schotts, I think, <laughs> has got this whole bit that he does, which is like we were strangers, and we were we were sort of we were worried about each other, and and there was this atmosphere in the room. But now we know each other's names instantly. We're sort of thirty percent more comfortable with each yes. other than we were. And there is something like once we know each other's names, like we're a team now. We can yes. let's improv. Yes, yes. So uh, I'm interested in your teaching process. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because because it's uh, because I've been on the other side of it and I'm just uh, interested to kind of what happens behind the scenes. <laughs> so, say for example, with this course you're about to start tonight, yes. Um, how much um, 
say do you have over the course contents? Does Steve Rowe say, look, Chris, you know, I think you're pretty good, but this is what you've got to cover? Or it's uh, Actually, Steve is incredibly generous with it. He allows uh, each teacher to teach it their own way completely. He even says that you can sort of tell at the end of the class if, if someone comes to a drop-in after doing eight weeks with me or Maria or Katie yes. or Sophie, he can tell, like, we, we've somehow indelibly kind of stamped our improv style on, on people. Like, oh, you've, you've been with Maria for a while. They, we sort of, people take on our, our way of improvising a bit. Wow. So, yeah, we aren't, we aren't given a huge amount, really. He says, you know, at the end, I want them to do long form yes and he trusts us which is incredibly liberating yes. and it makes you want to do a really good job so I I actually quite meticulously plan my lessons um, I drop it if something else is more interesting in the room but I want to have um, you know something down uh, so so that's the way it is actually we've all started meeting as a improv faculty now wow. uh, about once a month and we teach each other games so more and more now there should be cross-pollination of different people's favourite games and ethos we'll like do our little speeches that we do and stuff and, um, and, and pick those things up from each other so I do a thing at the end of every class where I get people to stick their hand into the middle and then jump up in the air and say improv and I heard from down the hallway a big improv <laughs> so I know at least that has started to percolate through the hoopla teaching community and I mean I have stolen mercilessly from Katie Shute and Steve and Maria in my time <laughs> you know I'd like all the people that um that I sort of came up with uh, through through the scene uh, who I think are incredible teachers you know every time there's a great game uh, yeah, but I, I uh, when I went to I, I went to study in Chicago at IO for five weeks. I wrote down everything that we did. Yeah. Everything I wrote down, how it made me feel as a student, what I loved. I put start big stars around because I like to doodle in my in my improv notes. Um, and uh, yeah, and I just use all of that stuff because I know that the teachers have taken that from someone else it's all a virtuous circle of thievery yeah. <laughs> really so, so I think it, taking improv notes is incredibly important um, because essentially at the end of it once you've got a full book of notes you've written an improv book yes. of all the things that strike a chord with you about improv you've yes. written your own perfect improv book yes uh, so now I've started putting them on a shelf in volumes I used to like have different ones for different sorts of improv. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is the free association book, and <laughs> uh, but now I just do them all in one until it's full, and then the next one until it's full, and it's just this kind of wow. procession of crazy notes, and I love it, and it, I love going back and remembering the person I was when I was writing. It's better than a diary. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, so I think I've got a bit of a thing. I think I'm on a bit of a crusade now. People should. Should, I think people should write notes. Yes. I think because yes. it, 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 it crystallises in mm. amber who you were and what you felt about improv on that day. Yes, yes. And, uh, and sometimes you forget that good stuff, I think. Yes, mm. it's um, very easy to forget the good stuff. And what I tend to do is on the way home, I will write about the class or whatever I've taken or the show that I've done oh, and try and capture it almost <clears throat> in a stream of consciousness at that point. So, you know, I, just everything that's in my head, I just want to get it out on the page. Um, partly because I won't sleep afterwards if I don't. <laughs> but also, yeah, it's really great to look back and think, oh, wow, yes. You know, because it is easy to forget. It's easy to forget the good stuff, and, and mercifully, it's easy to forget the bad stuff. Yeah. But uh, having a record and being able to go back and remind yourself is amazing. Yeah, and uh, so in, I'm in a group called Project 2, it's science fiction improv, and we are now going to record every show we do. And yeah. more than that, we're going to watch every single one. I hate it more than anything <laughs> in the world. The way I hold my hands, the things I do over and over again when I'm obviously not listening and staring out into the distance, but you see all of that stuff and, and you, it makes you want to put a stop to all the bad habits. Yes. It's, yes. Uh, yeah, it, I, th I, think it's, I think it's the best thing you can do for your improv, really, uh, if you're serious about perfecting it as an art form. Yes. But it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, just horrible. 
But uh, yeah, all of 2016, I'm going to be seeing myself being bad and not as great as I remember on stage <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> it could also work the other way because um, I did a launch pad recently and I got someone to film that. And actually, it was really helpful because um, from where you are on stage, it feels very different from what it actually appears to the audience. Mm. And I felt that we'd spent, you know, like half, it was only a 15 minute slot, but it still felt like we'd done half an hour of stuff before we got any reaction from the audience whatsoever. And it had been 30 seconds. It yeah. Just, it was the first 30 seconds. Yeah. So it seemed like a long time. And we hadn't even been aiming to get laughs particularly. It just, it seemed like a long time before they came. <laughs> and then I watched the video and it wasn't long at all. It was just, no. you know. Yeah, well, I mean, time is something we've constructed and it, it is, as a man-made object, it is fallible. <laughs> it, you know, it's elastic. It's, we can't really tell or measure it, especially when we need to. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting how it's all completely relative to our experiences. <laughs> you mentioned that Steve could tell uh, if, uh, in the dropping, whose course, the course they've been on. How does he tell one of your students? Um, oh man, I think they will jump around a lot. They will get incredibly animated about stuff. I, so I really, I, I take the um, Mark approach of, of going to all schools of improv and learning. I, I, I'd like to the, be... The Mark Tyndall journeyman approach. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like that, to... That's really cool on you. I'm hoping yeah. that's going to catch on well, if I say it enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to say it. Yeah, the Mark <laughs> Tyndall journeyman approach is definitely how I feel about things. And I wouldn't have been able to say what my style of improv was, but now I've really landed, I think, on uh, a real connection between two people. The, I, uh, you know, to a scene where people are connecting on an emotional level... And, and the laughs, if they do come and they don't have to come, come out of that relationship. Uh, grounded, beautiful moments that could only happen through improv. Yes. That's what I would hope that my students would go on and, and be champions of. And that's what I hope, because I'm nowhere near, nowhere near being able to do that myself. But that's what I aspire to. Um, people like Dummy and TJ and Dave are incredible like I could watch them for, forever really I could and um, and there's there's plenty more people who who, who act in that style um, um, Bob Dassey and Stephanie Weir when they do Weird Ass are also like that just incredible incredible performers um, Craig Kotowski I feel like I should keep saying people just these veterans who they when they're on stage they just they're so calm right yes uh but it's just so beautiful watch they've they've got they've got this yes. you know they've got this yes <clears throat> i talk about improv as being part theater part circus act you're always heart in your mouth worried that they're going to fall and that's what gives it its charge but real veteran improvisers you, you know they've got a built-in safety net almost. They're attempting the most death-defying things, but you have complete faith in them. Yes. And that's what I love. Uh, no panic, no moves made out of fear. Yes. Just incredible listening and this, and this ability to make their partner look incredible. Uh, that, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, that's what I try and instill <laughs> in people. And that's what I'm yeah, hoping for, really, I guess. But actually, people who bounce around and are very excited about improv is probably more likely, I would say. Uh, there are actual holes in the wall, not in this room, but there are, there are holes in the wall that were me getting so excited by a scene that I just jumped into a wall <laughs> and made a hole in it. More than one in, in Theatre Delhi. It's just me being excited about improv. Um, so, yeah. That's embarrassing. Really, that's great. Um, so let's turn back. Let's talk, let's turn back time. Right. Uh, the the uh, uh, man-made construction. Uh, how did you first discover improv? Where did you? Where does your improv origin story start? Uh, it was in uni. Yeah. Uh, in two two thousand and one. Right. Uh, went to the Edinburgh Festival with my musical theatre society. Marvellous. We were doing a production of Edwin Drood, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. All right, yeah. Which is based on... Did the... you stop after the interval, sorry? Well, it's very interesting, actually, because what happens in the musical is there are, some, there are about 
20 plus endings. Really? Yeah, so the audience vote on oh. who the lovers are, who the overall villain is. Yeah. So the, the ending is variable. So it was a kind of proto yeah. safe improv, I guess, in that way. Well, but except completely scripted, because yes. you, you knew what happened in each of the endings. But still, yes. Um, so we were doing that, and we're doing that in C venues, which is the perennial student venue. And after us in the theatre was this group called Baby Wants Candy who were professing to do a 60-minute improvised musical where everything was improvised, the music, the score, the book, uh, everything. Now, obviously, we didn't believe this and assumed they were at the same level as we are, like just a a fairly good student group, you know, who, who had come up. They were actually Baby Wants Candy who are one of the most venerated and brilliant, firstly, I.O. house teams, now independent teams in all of Chicago. This cast had in it uh, Al Samuels, Peter Gwynn, Bob Dassey. These were megastars, the best improvisers that Chicago could produce at the time. I went into that show and it was... I always say this, but I guess I need to say it again. If they had each just flown up into the air and, and whizzed around the auditorium. I couldn't have been more amazed at what they did. They were so funny and so playful and so warm and so interesting. And I didn't know we could do that as human beings. I didn't know we could be that fast and clever and brilliant. I, it blew my mind. And I'd been doing theatre my whole life, um, starting when I was sort of six or seven doing verse speaking at festivals and then going on to being in amateur dramatic plays and and then doing stuff at uni and studying theatre A-levels and and then going and doing my degree in it. But it wasn't quite what I wanted to do. I was never a great actor. I always got the kind of comedy relief role. I always... The stuff that I was best at was just the things I changed every night, really. And when I saw that, some... It sounds so weird, but really something clicked, and I was like, oh, that's, this is what I should be doing. Theatre was just the nearest thing that I had available, yeah. but this, that isn't what I want it to be. I want this thing here. Um, and then from that point onwards, I knew I wanted to do improv. I wanted to study it, and I wanted to perform um, so went back to London after that incredible experience. Oh, I should say, um, they had been, they had forgotten to bring anyone to tear tickets for them. Right. So we, my cast, said, we'll, we'll do it. So I got to see about 15 shows for wow. free. I guess kept coming back, so I just saw it over and over again. Because yeah, yeah. at first I didn't, I should say I didn't really believe it. <laughs> I thought there must be a formula to this. Yes. And that, that was proved wrong very, very quickly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I saw a lot of them. Um, and when I went back, I was like, right, let's do this. Nothing as I could find in London. Yeah. Nothing at all. And the internet was pretty basic in those days. So it wasn't like you could just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you probably could Google it, but there was only like three sites on there. And one of them was Hamster Dance. <laughs> um, but so I couldn't do anything. Yeah. But I kept in contact with the Baby Wants Candy guys. And when they came back in... Like maybe 2004, something around there, they asked me to be their English producer. Wow. So I booked their accommodation for them. They famous, famously give out candy on the Royal Mile as their kind of little flyering technique. So I had to go to the wholesalers and get the candy. And it was just me and my friend Ellen Mainwood. Uh, we, we were their production team. Now they have about a 15 strong intern. Uh, team when they go up to Edinburgh it was just the two of us so I watched every show that time all 30 shows and every night the cast would congregate on the porch on the stoop of our Edinburgh flat and just sit and watch people make jokes and make up things and I just like did silly voices little instantaneous skits uh and it, oh, the lights have just gone out. I'm going to run around the room. <laughs> Watch out for the walls. <laughs> um, and I, so I just, I, it was like intravenously, I was fed all of this comedy brilliance. Yes. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, no, I definitely, I've got to, I, maybe I'll start a theatre. Uh, so me and my friend Ellen were like, we'll go back. And we'll start a little theatre. We'll call it The Porch, after the place where 
we sat with Baby Wants Candy, um, and, and we'll, we'll make a theatre. Came back, still nothing, uh, nothing happening in London, and, you know, life moves on. I'm a dreamer, but not a completer finisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, cut to a few years later, and my housemate, or I think she was just about my ex-housemate by that point, Nikki Kidner, uh, rang me up and said, oh, that uh, musical you like is, is in London. We should go and see it. And I was like, mm, I think I know if they were, <laughs> they were here. Uh, and that, that was Showstopper. Ah, right, cool. Um, and so I looked on the internet at that point and realised that the London, fledgling London improv scene had grown up while I wasn't looking. <laughs> and now there was this incredible group called the Showstoppers that had grown out of Ken Campbell's sort of last project. And Ken Campbell uh, is this, uh, was this incredible theatre maker. And he would never stand still in the style he would do. So he would do like a play that lasted over a day, <laughs> write a play that lasted over a day. It was one of the things he did. Or he got interested in ventriloquism. Uh, and his last thing before he sadly died was improv. He got into improv. Right. And he assembled this incredible group of people People who are still doing it now, Dylan en- Emery, um, Adam Megiddo, uh, so these were his sort of um, uh, people who, who studied with him, no, rehearsed with him, I should say, uh, and they created Showstoppers, and that had started sort of making a, a modest stir in the community, yeah. um, and they talked they taught on a Sunday something called the Crunchy Frog Collective. All right. And I went along to that. I can remember my first, my first time I went along to that. Uh, and that was, that was my start. Yes. So that was in 2009. Uh, I went to my first, I, my first improv course. Cool. Although I had, you know, I'd attended stuff when Baby Wants Candy would do little workshops and I'd got, yeah. but that was really the beginning of it. And, you know, I met, in that class, I met Steve Rowe, I met uh, Michael Brunstrom, I met Sarah Louise Young. They were just people <laughs> in the class. It was crazy. Uh, and that's where it all began. So, uh, so, I, so I just studied, basically, with Dylan, who was running it, Dylan Emery, every Sunday. Um, I met Steve through that, and Steve had started running Hoopla uh, with Edgar at that point. So I started oh, okay. going to that, too. Um, I went along to dozens of showstopper shows, uh, and they are incredible. They're incredible in a really different way to Baby Wants Candy. Yeah. And Baby Wants Candy, the musical element is almost incidental to them just having a laugh on stage. Right. But showstopper are incredibly funny, but they're also very dedicated to creating a musical is like a West End musical mm. and it's so funny because that was their right from the beginning now they are a West End musical ah. you know, they're, they're on in the West End and they've, and they've got an ex- they're a hit they've yes. got an extended run but right from the beginning right when they, whether they were above a pub or or behind a pub normally but you, you know they always had that we want to create the best musical we can it's not an excuse for us to have fun no. we, and it's, it's one of those differences I think between a lot of where is, everything's merged now, but at the beginning, English improv was very much about perfecting it and polishing it. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of this, certainly Chicago improv, I think, is about just squeezing as much fun out of it and really to hell with the format if you're having fun yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. Yes. Um, so that was really interesting. Uh, so yes, I started doing them, starting going to Hoopla. Hoopla were doing shows, nothing like the shows they do now, just little short, not just, but short form shows yes. in rooms where you, as an audience member, you could reach out and touch them. <laughs> it was, it was a, such small rooms, yes. of, <laughs> eight metres by six metre yeah, rooms yeah. where you could have like 12 people in the audience. <laughs> uh, so I used to go along to those... Uh, and Steve would do these drop-ins and would do longer Saturday classes as well with people like John Creamer yeah. would come down for that. Um, and that was amazing. And that, happened, that was that long time, a year and a half, never performing, just going along to every single uh, workshop I could, learning, learning, learning. And finally, someone invited me to be in a show, which was Michael Brunstrom. Michael Brunstrom was Michael Brunstrom first? 
Oh, look, Steve, Steve asked me to be in the Hoopla Halloween special. Right. And just and so I was, this was so scary for me. The first time on stage, I was so, so scared. It was a massive moment. Um, but then the week before, Roderick Miller asked me at the last moment if I could be in the, my show, My Rules, show that he ran at the uh, Wheat Sheaf. Right. And so it was like, I, it was sort of undercut. I was suddenly on stage the, that day, you know, it was wow. like a week to go and I'm going to do my first improv show. No, it's tonight, I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, and that was brilliant. And uh, I always, uh, <laughs> everyone's got a soft spot for Roderick, but I have a particular one <laughs> because he gave me a break. Um, and then, and then Steve the week afterwards, and then Michael Brunstrom had this idea of this character called Kurt Hatred, <laughs> who was this incredible philosopher and raconteur uh, who doesn't exist, and we would tell stories about him, and we started doing that show as well. So then, slowly, there weren't that many performance opportunities, but I slowly but surely started doing short form yeah. uh, at that point which was brilliant. Uh, and so that was me for sort of another year or so, because that was what was happening, really. Um, <laughs> shall I keep going? This was like... Um, so that That's was, me nodding, by the way. That was my short-form <laughs> days. And then, um, and then after that, uh, Baby Wants Candy was coming back to Edinburgh stuff. We went back. We were seeing shows. We were doing runs with... Um, so around that time, I formed my own short-form team, I, me and a group of friends, called The Ministry. So that was John Monkhouse, me, uh, Ginny Lyons, and Nicola Kidner. So the, the four of us, we did a show called The Ministry, which was short-form. Yes. Uh, we were booked once by the Methodist Conference. Wow. Just, I think, because of the ministry name, even though we had no <laughs> Christian affiliation at all. So that was our biggest gig. That was to about 200 people. How did that go down? So well. Really? Like, uh, we sat in the pub afterwards. We were shell-shocked. I can still remember it. Right. We did this. We made people laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was great. Um, and then there was, an, there was like a rival crew who had started at the same time called Cannonball. Right. And that had uh, Rhiannon and Vivian uh, and Ant- uh, Anthony, what am I saying? Andrew Gentili, Dave, Dave Waller was in that, uh, Chris Warren. Um, and we did a lot of stuff together. One of our first gigs was we did a versus cage uh, match. And then we all went up to Edinburgh together under the Cannonball name. Right. And during that, we saw Baby Wants Candy again. And then we started thinking about long form. And at the end of that run, we were like, we're going to form a Harold team, a British Harold team, one of the first British Harold teams. I think one of the first one, uh, groups that had formed specifically to um, create that, that, that form. Um, we'd never seen <coughs> a Harold. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan as well. And uh, Stephen Moffat, has said, once said that he thought Matt Smith's face was a handsome man if a group of old men who had never seen a handsome man constructed it from memory. <laughs> it's a sort of, it's a, sort of a, a, a caricature of what a handsome face might look like. Right. In the same way, our Harold was a caricature of a group of people who didn't know what a Harold was, <laughs> but kind of tried to do it. Uh, we had an amazing... A coach in uh, oh my gosh Tim is it was yeah it was Tim Sniffin who was our coach and Tim's uh, was part of Baby Wants Candy he's amazing uh, he lives uh, with his husband in Edinburgh now so he's still around I really hope he comes down and does more shows because he is incredible and he he took us for about six weeks he just stayed for six weeks and coached us wow. not just us we weren't <laughs> <laughs> he had a load of other things Sounds to very do intense. <laughs> um, and so we did that, and then after that... But, so he knew, he had seen Harold. Oh, yeah. He was, <laughs> he was, yeah, so, but we had never had, Right, Yeah, okay. so we were one removed from it. So how did you discover the Harold if none of you had ever seen it? Uh, just people used to talk about it. And, <laughs> and, it, and it is the long, non-narrative, long-form form that most people know. So if you're talking to Baby Wants Candy, who, even though they are an indie team, did start out in IO, you know, they're like, this is a good place to start. Um, so that's why. And then after Tim went back, K 
Katie Shoot took over being a coach and we became 8-Bit. And 8-Bit were sort of a lot of Cannonball and, um, and the ministry. So it was <laughs> me, John Monkhouse, Ginny Lyons, Maria Peters, uh, Nicola Kidner, oh, I knew, Rhiannon Rian Vivian and Dave Wallen. And then Katie as our coach. Uh, I, I name everyone because all of those people have gone on to be teachers yeah. or sort of some some big you know we they've gone on to do things. Yes, and I remember there's um, so eight bit was the most fun rehearsals, the most fulfilling and and incredible rehearsals I've ever had. I've le- I learned so much there, but the shows were. Uniformly terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> <clears throat> we didn't do a good show Why? our entire time we were together. Yeah. Don't know. I think we were trying to do this format that we didn't know about. We didn't let ourselves play or be interesting right. in air. We were trying to hit the. Yeah. It's death to improv to just try and do the form well. Yes. yes. And especially when we had net, we didn't have, we didn't know what the form looked like. <laughs> Is this right? Maybe. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. So that so that was weird. But uh, so I, I always put in mind of there was a, a team before Monty Python. <laughs> this is I'm being very grandiose. We're, we're not. But before Monty Python, there was a, a, a radio team that had people from Monty Python and from the Goodies and from the Goonies in it. The Goons. Goons. Sorry. Yeah. The Goon. Yeah, there was also some Goonies. In oh, right, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. There were people from the Spielberg film, <laughs> the Goonies, in it. Yeah. So it had it had Goons, Goodies, and uh, Pythons in it. But it wasn't well known. Yeah. And I, I kind of, in our own small British improv way, I kind of think that 8-Bit was that unsuccessful team that has then gone on to spawn some fairly successful stuff. Because Maria is now like a leading light of the improv community, teachers everywhere, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, John and Rhiannon went on to Music Box and the May Days. Uh, you know, there's been... People from that have gone on to do incredible things. Uh, I th- I'm really proud of them all. Uh, but yeah, that team was <laughs> pretty awful. How strange. I mean, they do say that, you know, bad rehearsal, you know, good first night or whatever, but mm. that was the opposite. That's also true. <laughs> yeah, good, good rehearsal. Or awful. <laughs> so, so that split up eventually, but we'd got the long-form bug by that point. Um... And then, and that's when everything else started, really. That's where Monkey Toast, what is now Monkey Toast, started with David Shaw. And I went and did, like, four courses and uh, four levels in that. Um, Crunchy Frog had stopped by that point because Showstoppers was so great. But where I kept going back was there's a 50-hour improvathon that happens. And I always managed to get in during the night shift, the bit where there was no audience. They needed people who, as we've discussed before, have a lot of energy but not a lot of talent. And so, so I was perfect for that. And so I would do the night shifts of these 50-hour ones to just get them through the night and be extra members. So I kind of kept on with Crunchy, Crunchy Frog and the Showstopper crowd there. It was really, they were really incredibly nice to let me be in, in the show. Uh, and then, yeah, Hoopla started getting bigger and bigger, started putting on more nights for us to perform in. Uh, a monkey Toast happened. Oh, gosh. It's, and then we started, I guess that was sort of where we started sort of teaching a little bit. And, and that was when Jules, who came out of uh, May Days, and I was actually in a group with him, um, what was his first group? Uh, the you, you, in the podcast, he was saying, "I can't." In you're right. I was listening very intently when he said it, and uh... yeah, the, the the one that came out of uh, his his drama score. I auditioned to be in that, and I oh, got right. in. Oh, and right. I, I actually met him. He doesn't remember meeting me <laughs> because I was one of the the newbies. I imagine he he didn't. He decided not to. Oh, it's gone dark again. Gonna run you're going to run down now. I just, I just, a giant, I just thought, I don't want to fall over. I you nearly smashed into a heater. Yes. 
Anyway, I was in that group for about four weeks. Uh, right, four then, weeks. Yeah, and you thought, I've masked this. So I'm just. <laughs> it was. Uh, I left the night. Uh, <laughs> I left the night. I went home and accidentally proposed to my wife. Oh, I see. Well, she wasn't my wife for that much. She was my <laughs> girlfriend. I, I came home from rehearsal and accidentally had to reveal that I was going to propose. And then everything got a bit mad and I didn't go back to rehearsals after that. So it was quite a little dropped. You had, sorry, you had to reveal that you were going to propose? Yeah, because she'd read an email that I was going to propose. She'd read some of my emails. She was like, what's this about? I'd convinced her that I was never going to propose, so she thought I was talking about someone else's proposal. But when she said it, I panicked that she was... So basically, I had to just go into uh, uh, emergency mode and just propose there and then without the ring. Um, yeah. So that, was, that happened that night after rehearsal. And then after that, it all became too fraught, and I never went back. <laughs> Hence the fact that I still can't remember the name of that group. Uh, but I was in that group for a little bit. Uh, and then, yeah, the scene just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. I got married. Uh, and, I, and I invited a load of improvisers to my wedding. Uh, people that I didn't know very well, but I knew that I would become special to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? I like, yeah. Well, some of them, like, 8-bit and stuff, I yeah, knew. Yeah, yeah. But there were a few others, like, I don't really know you that well, but I know we are going to be incredibly close, so I want you at my wedding. Yes. And we did a set at my wedding. Oh, wow. Which my wife, Laura, still maintains was one of her favourite bits of the day. And it was, for some reason, because it could go so wrong, this sort of thing, just beautiful. Yes. And that was that was eight bit. I don't know why we so that, that was fine. We did it. We showed our potential at that point. <laughs> it was wonderful, and I knew that was going to be sort of really a part of my life. Uh, so yeah, wow. Uh, did you want this level That's of detail? Brilliant. That's I feel great. like That's brilliant. I feel like this is our history. This yeah, is good. sort of it's like good. it should be preserved. Is it, yeah. Has anyone written it down anywhere? No. This is this is this, this is, is my oral retelling yeah, of it. Exactly. Um, so that happened. Steve is a genius, as everyone knows, and built and built Hoopla up, started doing more nights at the Miller. Jaws also started building the nursery, started talking to a lot of people about it. He's, he's, a, he's pretty good too, but um, he knows that. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so the nursery started being a thing as well, started putting on nights. There were more places to perform. You could start more groups and stuff and, and know that you'd get... A space, and it was around about that time uh, that I formed Project Two. Yes. With, well, it was a two prof with John Muckhouse, yes. who is my best friend. I've known him since I was sixteen. We've done, been through everything together. You know, um, I lived with him for a long time. He is an incredible improviser, and but doesn't think up until very recently never thought of himself as a performer. He's also an incredible technician. He can make things with his hands. Wow. Like he, he make things with hands as opposed to his mouth. I don't <laughs> he's incredible. He's, he's, he's practical, right? Yeah, so, wow. so few artists yes. are practical as well. Uh, so he can make stuff and he's a graphic designer as well. And he is a technician and also an incredible performer. He's, he's annoying. Um, <laughs> I think your best friend is someone who you would, who you would, Hate yes. seethingly hate with jealousy if you didn't love so much, right? Yes, that's sort yes. Of no, I have that's that's very much uh, uh, yes. I entirely understand what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> so, there's <laughs> oh, one friend I um, role play with, and he's so brilliant that if I didn't like him so much, I'd hate him. Mm, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> the same thing. Um, so, too proud with him, and we just thought having. So we knew each other since we were 16. So at the time we were going on for sort of. 15 years knowing each other we thought that's an advantage right how, how long did it take to get that kind of group mind <laughs> yes so we started doing two prof together and asked Katie who who is I think one of the best improvisers in London in London no in, in the in the UK and possibly the world actually Katie is on another level I think to most people oh nodding I should, <laughs> yeah. I should have nodding <laughs> but that doesn't come across on the podcast so so she said she'd coach us uh, and we were like this is amazing and then within a few weeks it became clear that Katie <laughs> should be in it we never thought she would and yeah. then she, she did decide to be in it yeah. and that became Project 2 we're all geeks all science fiction fans so it was science fiction before Katie yeah, it was always going to be science yeah, yeah. fiction um, and then Katie was always going to be our coach uh, and we had lots of other lovely coaches as well on off but Katie was the one that stuck 
because she was not only the best improviser we know, knew, but also knew so much about sci-fi. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and she had done that, going to IO thing, long before anyone else. Um, she was just so far ahead of the game <laughs> on so many things. She knew where Harold was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's how that started. And we started performing it everywhere we could with that uh, hoopla and the nursery. And then we, we would travel up and go to the Nottingham, visit the Nottingham community. Uh, and then we finally, we went over to Chicago and did a week at the Annoyance. Wow. Uh, which was a watershed moment. In fact, Mick Napier, Susan Messing, those guys, that should be on my list of other people that do those relationship-based, beautiful improv. Um, so that blew my mind across the room. And also, I got to go to I.O. and see shows there while being at The Annoyance. I got to go and see the independent scene around Chicago. I came back so inspired, so wanted to move our community forward. Um, and it just kept growing. Uh, other things started popping up. Um, free association more recently so I went and did level 3 in the masterclass there and got invited onto Harold team which I did for a very short amount of time not because you it wasn't brilliant just because I had to yeah, propose my wife again had <laughs> to drop it again. Gosh, yeah, I, I, can't, I couldn't say no as an improviser you, you're always saying this right you can't say no yeah, to stuff I just have to agree and then to you all. have to kind of like oh there are not 15 days of the week uh, I'm going to have to Scroll back, and and then I went. The the big thing, the the, and this is rewinding slightly, is that I went over to Chicago. I was going to do twelve weeks over there, uh, around, and uh, went over with John. Going to do the five weeks in IO. That was the main part of it, which you're doing this year. I'm not doing this year. Many many other people are. Oh <laughs> no! Oh no, you're not. No, because no, no. everyone was talking about it <laughs> about going. Yeah. So many people are. Yeah. So that five week IO intensive. Yes. That was the centre, but I was just going to go to. Oh man, I forgot to say, of course, that P-Graph came over as well <laughs> and did a weak narrative that changed everything about what I wanted to do as well. Yeah. So I wanted to visit them. because I, Mark has sp- spoken so eloquently about P-Graph <laughs> just to say that I echo completely his sentiments um, about them. Uh, I think they are they're powerhouses of story and performance and they are all wonderful people as well annoyingly um, uh, so they're amazing they came over so I was going to go and see the hideout and John was going to act in their marathon their version of the improvathon at that point yeah. um, and we got stopped at the border because I said we were going to do improv I said it was just I'm not going to we're not paid to do it we're amateurs we're just going to go over and in fact, John's is the charity gig. We're not, but yeah. they, they said that was because there was a door fee. We were uh, we were professional improvisers and were taking money away from the good, hard walking, working American improvisers. Um, so we were we were sent home. We were escorted back and uh, with armed guards and and sent back home. And now we, it's very hard for me and John to enter. Um, into the uh, the US now. Oh no! Mm. God, yeah. So uh, so that was twelve weeks. We'd, we'd done all the accommodation in advance. Yeah. We had hired a convertible <laughs> to drive from one end of the of America of the US to the other. Um, we had all our classes. And we just lost it all, and uh, that was crushing. Yeah, uh, I. I had to do something in those 12 weeks because I'd taken off work and everything yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, what did I, so I went to um, I went to Toronto for a few weeks because Canada would let me in. And, <laughs> and the Canadian the t- scene in Toronto is brilliant too. Yeah. Uh, the Sufferettes. Do you know the Sufferettes? No, no, no. They are wonderful. And there's a group called Mantown who are, have oh, they got their own podcast. Yes, no, I like uh, the back line. Yeah. And there's so much great stuff happening there. So I went there for a little bit, but basically I licked my wounds for a year. Oh, Felt awful. I'm surprised. Yeah. And then tried again the next year, got the right visas. Yeah. Cause it was a genuine mistake, right? Yeah, there was yeah, nothing. Yeah. We weren't trying to pull anything. Yeah. We weren't. So I think we got a 
there's a there's a something written in my passport, a code. But I think the code means just an idiot. Rather than, <laughs> he, he's not a criminal mastermind. He's just an idiot. So I still get secondary questioning, but I can go in wow. to uh, to the US now. But as long as I don't perform, so I don't perform in the US. I just go and learn. Over yeah, there. yeah. Wow. Um, and. Yeah, so I managed to do that the next year. I did manage to get over there, visit the brilliant people in Austin. Yeah. And Mark's not wrong about the Austin community. It is insanely brilliant. I love it so much. Uh, and then did the Chicago stuff. And Chicago, was, uh, IO was just opening its new venue, which has just opened. And so I got to see, uh, I got to see Weird Ass got back together. I got to see Beer Shark Mice. I got to see TJ and Dave over and over again. I got to see TJ and Dave acting with um, Scott. Ah, what's his name? Uh, from 30 Rock. Ah, so many. Oh, you're, you're going oh, to Google it. I was, I was hoping you would fill. Oh, I was going to fill. Oh, that's, oh I'm, I'm too honest for my own good, Stuart. Um, why do I not remember his name? Everyone's shouting at the... At their own... Adsit. Yeah, Scott Adsit. Fantastic. I mean, it's obviously if I've looked it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott Adsit, Bob Dassey, Stephanie Weir, TJ and Dave, all in the same show. The best thing I think I've ever seen. Uh, I was meant to be in Austin. I booked a plane to fly back from Austin to Chicago for one night only to attend the opening of the new I.O. Wow. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, and we the whole five weeks... We were in the building before it was open to the public. Yeah. My class were the first people to do a Harold on the Harold stage <laughs> in the new... It, before they'd even put up the set or the doors and stuff, we did the first show. <laughs> we did the first Harold in the Harold venue. I can't wow. believe it. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, so that was really good. Uh, and then, yeah, FA, Monkey Toast, Hoopla became this massive multi-tentacle thing uh, all over the place. The nursery got its own venue and started putting on incredible shows yes. and started its own courses. Everyone started voting over US teachers and Australian teachers, European teachers of note. There was this incredible cross-pollination. Every year, the scene built and built and built. More people coming over, more ideas shared. Showstopper always being brilliant. Ostentatious starting. This sounds like one of those news feeds. <laughs> Ostentatious. See the flashing up on yeah. the screen. And <laughs> the ticket tape's going as we go. <laughs> Ostentatious started and became the, the kind of uh, the bell of Edinburgh. Yeah, improv was becoming the, the Edinburgh they were the best thing there they had queues around the block and they were so brilliant yeah. and consistently brilliant yeah. no one some people before improv was like you go along to it and it was so hard to know if you'd get anything of quality because there were so many groups who were necessarily putting themselves on stage to get better yes but weren't good by that point yes and ostentatious came almost out of the gate they were brilliant I was there at one of the first couple of shows I think and they were already so good. Yeah. And if you look at that cast, everyone in that cast is incredible. <laughs> Steve Rowe making a second oh, appearance. Hello, Steve. And um, <laughs> yeah, so it all happened. It all happened. And then I was, uh, I was, torn. I was. Susan Messing was over uh, for something, and I said, "What, what, what happens now? What shall I do? There's so much to do." And she said coach a team that's the next thing the UK doesn't have a co coaching culture and it needs one wow. so coach a team you'll learn so much yeah. and so I put a advert on the Hoopla website saying Chris Mead is going to coach a team no one knew who I was um, <laughs> uh, anyone want to do it and I got I was incredibly lucky to get this incredible group of improvisers turned out to be the science of living things oh, eventually wow. yeah. uh, and, and coaching them every week for maybe a year and a half and then continuing to coach them on and off uh, consolidated me as an improviser yes. not, not the performing yeah. um, but that's what they say isn't it if you want to learn something teach it to somebody else yeah yeah exactly yeah. Uh, and by the time I'd finished that I felt that I could 
I could have a go at teaching. Yeah. So Steve let me start teaching. Jules let me start teaching. So now I teach both for the nursery and Hooper. I've been doing that for a year and a half. So we're getting, we're nearly up to date now, everyone. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's it. And I keep going and learning. I, we started project two uh, is now to a point, I think, where it's legitimately all right. I think you're better than all right. We, it, I'm really proud of us. Yeah. Personally, it yeah. is the kind of improv I want to see. It's yeah. got all the geekiness of, of people who really love sci-fi and are really into it. It's not just a surface thing. We love sci-fi of, in fact, I should probably say SF. We're up to that point where the kind of geeks that we... <laughs> SF and sci-fi, you know, or what should we call it? Uh, we're really into that sort of stuff. We are, we're all teachers now and coaches, and it's, it's, it's the show I want it to be. It's stupid, stupendous, gigantic sci-fi, and these little moments of emotional depth and brilliance and the little sparks between two characters. And that's what I've always loved the most about improv, is the fact that it isn't the poor cousin to stand-up or theatre. It's two people finding each other in the maelstrom of, of just pretend and forging a connection and those sparks that jump between them and, and finding out who they are to each other and what that means and how they feel about it is something you can't see anywhere else. It is the most incredible art form and I'm so happy to be in it and that's what I think we're moving towards project two has moments where it's it's that it's exactly what I want it to be yeah. more and more uh, so that is great um, uh, I've rejoined the May Days which is really nice in Brighton who are this incredible professional brilliant sprawling group of incredible improvisers um, yeah, I've I, I missed out loads of stuff. <laughs> but now I'm at a point where I coach and I teach and I perform every week. And I've, I've actually moved my day job down from five days a week to four days a oh, week. wow. So that I can do it more. And I hope to do... I hope that I could listen to this podcast again in a year and be, oh, now I'm down to three days. Yeah. I'm down to two days because this is what I want. And, and more than that, improv has given me a community. It's yes. given me a friendship group like a university friendship group where yes. you still, you have your close friends but then you have this incredible second sort of this this wider group yes. of brilliant people who you can have a drink with and laugh with who have a shared set of values with yes. you can walk into certain pubs across this great <laughs> capital of ours and know you will find people there who you love yes yeah yes. so I don't think many adults have that really after they leave uni no, I don't think they do. And I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but that's really interesting. Um, yeah, the shared sort of values and language is really interesting. Um, and I did a, um, a course with Ian McNaughton, um, and it was documentary of filmmaking. And because I knew he was an improviser, um, I, when I said, shall we end this on a song? <laughs> I was reasonably confident, well, I was 100% confident. He'd go, yes, yes, let's end this on a song. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if it had been uh, somebody that I didn't know was an improviser, I wouldn't even have asked the question because I would have come across as someone that was mad. Yeah, and so you're in a group of people who are going to say yes to things. And I think out of this incredible community of geniuses, artists and poets... <laughs> It's going to spring so much more. You know, we've, we're starting to see podcasts and web series and uh, scripted shows. John Katie did a Ghostbuster musical uh, called Who You're Going to Call, which was incredibly well received. We're seeing other projects and it comes out of this incredible bubbling cauldron of creativity that the improv community has started. And not just at our level, we're talking now, I mean, Carrie Adloyd who is, I mean, internationally level brilliant. I think she is our ambassador. I think she's the UK yeah. community's, improv community's ambassador. She, you know, she, has, she shows what she can do, what can be done now in terms of moving into the mainstream. And she's credited as an improviser. It's yes. not, she's, inc she's incredibly good at being an ambassador and saying... No, I'm not just a comedian. I, uh, I'm an improviser, and that is a badge of honour for me. 
Uh, and she continues to do that sort of thing. Joseph Mapergo from Ostentatious as well is sort of topping everyone's list of the comedian to look out for next year. You know, still, so it still comes and does little improv shows. We've got these brilliant... And the, and the showstoppers as well, of course. They still come and do little shows. Yes. Um, one of the other things that I do now, which I really love with the nursery, is I produce a series of um, theatrical improv shows in the P-Graph mould. Um, and I directed the first one, too, which was called Emotion Play. And... Um, I'll go back to a motion play in a second, but we have showstoppers who have agreed to be in one of those shows now. Wow. So we have people right at the top of the game who are supporting this grassroots stuff as well. Yes. But also the work, I think, is really good. I've never been more proud of a show than I was of a motion play. Yeah. Uh, it was based on a play called Love Play by Moira Buffini, which is set in the same patch of land over the entire sprawl of human civilization. We decided to do that, have a different emotion each time, and improvise the whole thing. Uh, but just every, every scene leapt forward, but was set in exactly the same place, exactly the same geographical location. But it was just an excuse to do an emotionally grounded scene after emotionally grounded scene, where laughter wasn't the point, but was a product of, of it but not the, the only one and do you know, I'm sure you get this if you're someone who sees themselves as creative, there's always more that you could be doing, you're like oh I could be doing this, I could be yeah. why am I not achieving more or why can't I do this too through those weeks that I was doing a motion play, it's the first time in living memory where I was completely content Wow! <laughs> I just thought, yes, the thing that I aspire to do I'm doing. Yes. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. That's amazing. And, uh, and I'm, I'm doing another one next year, which is going to be called, it's tentatively titled The Harlequin's Guide to the Apocalypse. And it's going to be uh, set after the end of the world uh, with a troupe of Commedia dell'arte players. <laughs> so, so basically a group of survivors have thought there should still be theatre in this world and have taken up this sort of ancient medieval form of improvised play and um, are going to put it on. That sounds amazing. So, and it's going to flip between the actual, thing, the actual play they put on yeah. and backstage emotion play style heart-to-hearts between the actors when they take... Because the comedia is masked, yeah. I should say, and each character... You, you, an actor would specialise in a character and put on the mask and know how to move in that but so we'll have the masks off and have the kind of soap opera elements of what's happening in the troupe f- fending for themselves day to day after the apocalypse but also this big baldy comedia show so we hope to do both yeah. we hope to actually each member of the cast will take on a character and train in only that character and perfect the physicality we hope to get some people who are Commedia scholars to actually make that authentic as possible, but also there'll be this surrounding kind of apocalypse wow. theatre. And I, I mean, I hope that we will uh, get ourselves a wooden cart to perform on because they used to drag these carts to be their stage and stuff. Um, so that's the idea for the next one. Wow. So we're going to try and bring Commedia, do Commedia as authentically as possible, but also see behind the mask as well uh, so yeah so I think the Nursery Originals run is going to be amazing uh, next year we've got like uh, one set with photos and how fo- some old photos and things like that uh, which is called Flashbulb uh, we've got one set in a restaurant which Ginny Lyons is directing um, we have um, one set in a cabin in the woods like a kind of a horror really? sort of thing anyway we've got this incredible group <laughs> plays coming up so I'm really I'm really proud of that too and I'm really proud of how everyone in the community is talking to everyone else and performing in everyone else's shows it really feels like we're on the cusp of something really big and I I don't think you know I don't think everyone's going to take the carryout route and be famous you know over and above but I think a bunch of us are going to be able to it to be a big part of our lives and and I just I'm so excited about that I'm so excited for whoever opens the first 
complete theatre, you know, purpose-built building with classrooms and stuff. That's going to happen. You know, that will happen in the next five to ten years. Yeah. And, and you can, people come over from New York and Chicago and Austin and they say, this community has the feel of our communities before that point where we had our own venues. Yeah. You know, you're on the cusp of it. This feels like going back in time. It feels like so exciting. It's the, the, the potential energy that is thrumming through the community at the moment. And, and we're part of it. Don't, don't you find it? Like, yeah, how did yeah. we do this? How did we stumble onto this yeah. incredible like, well of it, of creativity? I'm, I'm so thankful and I, you know, it's not worthy of this, <laughs> this thing that's happening to us. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and there's so many examples of that all over the place. Uh, I guess oh, another really great one is Do Not Adjust Your Stage which I've sort of grown up with, you know, they started Do Not Adjust Your Stage around the time we were still performing in 8-bit, I would say. Yeah. And, and they are now, uh, they, so we've seen them grow up. They are, they're so good now. Yes, they are jaw-droppingly good. Yes. I sometimes, I can't speak to them <laughs> because I'm starstruck a little bit. <laughs> And they were like, those are my peers. People have got to that point now. They're, they're amazing. And I just, you know, what's, what, where are we going to be in five years? Where are I like, extrapolating out with that level of uh, growth yeah. and enthusiasm and numbers? Where are we going to be in five years? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think we should leave it there. Okay, cool. <laughs> I've just awesome. spoken for the whole time. I made this. If you want to find out more about Chris, follow him at Mr. Chris Mead. And if you want to find out more about this podcast, follow us at Improv London. That's Improv! That's improv. <laughs>